Find in your place, take your Bibles and turn to Judges chapter 7. Judges chapter 7. And we continue through our study through the book of Judges today. And we've been studying the life of Gideon uh, for a few weeks. And we continue with the, what the Word of God says concerning Gideon. We'll make uh, some application again from, from his life today. Before we get into it, uh, if you've been looking at the bulletin for upcoming cleaning crews, it's Team 4 this week, Caleb's team. Um, and I think the bulletin, I had it wrong, but uh, don't forget, it's clean, Team 4, it's your week to clean. Um, all right. There was one other thing. Oh, don't forget, we need a choir practice today. Choir, please, uh, right after church, okay? All right, Judges chapter 7. We're going to read a good portion here, down through verse 23, so you follow along as I read, all right? Then Jeroboam, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him, rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them, but the hill of Morah in the valley, or by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. Now therefore go to, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from uh, Mount uh, Gilead, and there returned of the people twenty and two thousand, and there remained ten thousand. So Gideon had an army of thirty-two thousand at this point, and twenty-two thousand returned home, and he's left with ten. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are yet too many. Bring them down unto the water, and I will try them for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, this shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee. And of whomsoever I say unto thee, this shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So he brought down the people unto the water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, Everyone that lappeth of the water with his tongue, as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself. Likewise, everyone that boweth down upon his knees to drink. And the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were three hundred men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the three hundred men that lapped will I save you, and deliver the Midianites into thine hand, and let all the other people go every man unto his place. So the people took victuals in their hand and their trumpets. And he sent all the rest of Israel, every man unto his tent, and retained those three hundred men. And the host of Midian was beneath him in the valley." We'll stop right there and we'll ask the Lord to bless and we'll continue reading this as we work our way through this message this afternoon. I want to, I want to talk to you today uh, on the subject or this thought that God always has the best plan. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us with your word again today and Lord that you'd help us to make application from it that will uh, encourage and challenge our life and our walk of faith and our relationship with you. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to trust you in all things, even when the road of life is rocky, even when uh, the trials fall across the way. Uh, Lord, help us to be able to trust you and follow you and see the footprints of the Lord leading every step. Lord, you always have the best plan. 
And Lord, I pray that you'd grow us in our faith and our trust. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to turn over to James chapter 4. Just keep your place here. And turn over to James chapter 4. The Bible says in James 4.13, Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. In these verses in James, James is counseling men against the foolishness of making plans for life without the consideration of the will of God in the matter. And James is saying that you and I can make plans for our lives, and we can make any plan that we wish to make, but God should always have the final say in any matter. That's what James is trying to teach us in the foolishness of making plans without the consideration of the will of God. When we consider the will of God and His plan for any particular situation, and then we make our plans based on God's plans, what we'll find is that God has had the best plan all along. That we need to trust Him and follow Him. But in life, humans in, uh, in general, we like to make our plans. We like to have control. We like to control the circumstances. We like to have the things in order. We want things to go the way that we want them to go. And for many people, they get a sense of safety in being able to control the circumstances. And that safety is a false sense of safety because you don't know what today is going to bring. James says you don't know what tomorrow is going to hold and your life is short. And the point that I'm making here is if we can control th how things go, we have a sense of safety in our life, but we need to remember that God might have a different plan, and God's plan is always the best plan. You see examples of that in the scripture. You remember uh, in Luke chapter 5 when the disciples were out fishing, been fishing all night, and they didn't catch anything, and they're coming back for the, to put it all away and, and be done with it, and they come across Jesus, and Jesus tells them, why don't you go out into the deep? And you're going to catch some fish. And Peter's thought and Peter's plan was to forget the fishing and to go home. We've been at it all night long. We want to be done. And yet he said, nevertheless. And when they obeyed the Lord, they found out that God's way was the best way. When Jesus told his disciples that he was going to die. Do you remember Peter's response to that? Initially, it was, not so, Lord, be it far from thee. And Peter even took the Lord and shook him and said, that's not going to happen to you. But when later on, when Peter understood that Jesus Christ was going to go to the cross, he was going to give his life and shed his blood to pay the penalty for sin for his own, 
and the sin of the world. When Peter understood that later on, he realized that God's plan for the redemption of man was the best plan. And we can look at other examples. You remember the Apostle Paul. At one point in time in his ministry, he wanted to take the gospel into Asia. And at that time, the Bible says the Spirit of God forbade him to do that. God had a different course, a different plan for him to follow. You know what, I'm sure, so, I'm sure glad that the Apostle Paul listened to the Spirit of God. Because when he did, and he took the gospel where the Lord wanted him to, that brought the gospel into Europe, which eventually brought the gospel to you and to me. I'm glad he listened to the plan of the Lord. And we could go on giving example after example from God's Word of how God always has the best plan, but I think this truth that we're trying to get across is fleshed out very well in the passage that we've read in Judges. The Bible tells us that when Gideon and his army went into battle, that they had initially 32,000 men. They probably had a plan in place of how they were going about the battle with these 32,000. But before the battle was engaged, before the victory was won, they found out that God's way and God's plan was ultimately the best one. And so I want us to consider that thought today. And as we do, I want to learn some lessons for life. That God's way may not be the easiest way. It may not be the most popular way, and it may not even be the way that we would have desired for ourselves. But we always need to remember that following the Lord is always the smartest way. It's always the best way because God always has the best plan. And so I want to consider a few things from this passage, and we'll finish reading through the passage as we go. The first thought that I want you to consider out of here is in the first point is we're going to consider the realities of God's plan. We found in verses 2 through 14 uh, that we, we read, I think we read down through verse 8 maybe. But we find in, in verses 2 through 7 rather that God's plan was a different plan. Let's read the verses again. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. Now therefore go to, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people twenty and two thousand, and there remained ten thousand. And the verses go on to say, as we read, that God said, Okay, there's still too many people here. Now what I want you to do is take the people to drink, and those that kneel down on the ground and put their face to the water, uh, those... I want uh, separated and those that lap like a dog. And the Bible says that there were those who put water in their hand and they lapped like a dog. The total was 300 people. And then God says, it's by these 300 that I'm going to deliver Midian into your hands. Now, as God is giving instruction to Gideon, no doubt Gideon had a plan initially for how they were going to go about this. And as God begins to whittle down the numbers, you can imagine that Gideon might have been thinking to himself, mm, are you sure that's a good idea, Lord? Because the armies of the Midianites were like grasshoppers, without number. They were about ready to face a battle much larger than their own. 
And Gideon planned initially to march into battle with these 32,000 soldiers, but God had a different plan. And I'm saying this because when we make our plans for life, we always try to stack the deck in our favor, don't we? We always try to like maneuver circumstances and manipulate things so that we can just make it as easy as possible and as comfortable as possible for ourselves. We want to stack the deck in our favor. That is human nature. However, God may have a different plan for your life than you do. We can see examples. David, David was a shepherd boy. I'm not sure what David's plans were for his life. But David didn't stay a shepherd boy. God had other plans to make him a king. Joseph and Mary, they were just a young couple, probably just trying to live life. They were going to get married, maybe raise some children. But God definitely had a different plan for them than what they initially probably thought. And the test of a life that is truly consecrated to the Lord is this. A person who is willing to submit to the plans of God, even when it's different than their own. That is the test of a life that is truly surrendered to the Lord. You remember Jesus' words in the Garden of Gethsemane? In Luke 22, 42, Jesus said, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus said, if it's possible and if there's any other way for the sin of man to be forgiven, if there's another way that that, can be, that could possibly be happened, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, I'm going to submit to my Father's will. And then the Bible tells us in Philippians 2.8 that, that Jesus being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The plan of God for the redemption of men, was perfect. And Jesus submitted Himself to the plan of God. And I'm saying the test of a truly consecrated life is that it is willing to submit to the plans of God, even when it might be different than our own. God's plan was different than maybe what Gideon's plan was. But secondly, we see that God's plan was a distinct plan. Look in verse 9. In verse 9... The Bible says, And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Arise, get thee down unto the host, for I have delivered it into thine hand. But if thou feared to go down, go thou with Phura, thy servant, down to the host, and thou shalt hear what they say. And afterward shall thine hands be strengthened to go down unto the host." Then went he down with Phura his servant unto the outside of the armed men that were in the host. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the children of the east lay along in the valley like grasshoppers for multitude. And their camels uh, were without number as the sand of the sea sighed for multitude. And when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow and said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came unto a tent and smote it that it fell and overturned it that the tent lay along. And his fellow answered and said, This is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, for unto his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the host." 
We find in here that God's plan is a distinct plan, and we could keep reading on a few verses later and find out exactly, and we will, find out exactly what took place. How God had already told Gideon exactly what's going to happen, how it's going to happen, and how I'm going to deliver the Midianites into your hands. So here is Gideon. He has his 32,000-man army reduced down to 300 men. They're getting ready to attack a force that is many times larger than their own. And God is telling Gideon what he needs to do. God is not asking Gideon for a leap of faith in the dark. But God is asking Gideon for a, a clear step of faith because God already told Gideon exactly how this is going to go. I want to make a side note here. You can imagine, put yourself in those shoes. You can imagine what that might have been like. Here's God going to deliver Midian into our hands. Their numbers are without multitude. We have actual real swords and spears and weapons. Like going into battle is probably going to mean death. We are severely outnumbered. Would you yourself just be full of confidence to walk into battle knowing that you're probably not going to survive? Like, we can't, we can't be very judgmental at all. We need to put ourselves in these shoes. Gideon, even though God told him what to do, still was a man and no doubt had fear and some trepidation for, about, for what was about to take place. And God knew that. Notice this. I think this is a great, a great uh, illustration for us of, of the character and the heart of God. In verse 9, notice this. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Arise, get thee down unto the host, for I have delivered it into thine hand. But if thou fear to go down, go down with Fura, thy servant, down to the host, and thou shalt hear what they say. You notice this here? That God understood and even knew the fears and the concerns that Gideon had. And so the Lord encourages Gideon. And he says, Gideon, I know that you're afraid. If you're afraid to do this, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go down and I want you to hear what they're going to say. And the Bible says in verse 13 that Gideon went by this tent and this man told this dream about this barley bread that tumbled into the host of Midian and it smote and, and the tent was overturned. And the answer or the interpretation was, this is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, for into his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the host. Those are the Midianites saying that. And Gideon's overhearing this. Gideon's eavesdropping in on this tent and these guys talking. And, 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 and the Bible tells us after that, that in verse 15, And it was so, when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof, that he worshipped and returned into the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered, your hand, or delivered into your hand the host of Midian. See how God encouraged Gideon here? He understood that he had fears. He understood that he had concerns. And God says, let me encourage you a little bit. What an what a illustration of how gracious and good God is, even to you and me. That he is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. That he does know what we go through. And God is not asking Gideon for just his blind leap of faith. 
or a blind leap in the dark. God is asking Gideon, based on his promise, just trust me and obey. And God still even encourages Gideon in spite of his fears. When it comes to you and me, the Lord expects us to walk in obedience to his will. The Lord expects that of us. But at the same time, he is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Amen? Aren't you glad that God understands that our frame is weak? That sometimes we lack in faith? That he also understands our fears and our failures too? Aren't you glad that God is that way? God never asks for a blind leap in the dark, but he asks us to respond to him by taking a clear step of faith, trusting his character, trusting his heart. Last week, we talked about how God speaks to us through his word, through his spirit, through godly counsel, and how it can confirm in our heart and our mind that the direction we're going is the will of God. Sometimes God even uses circumstances to direct our life. But the bottom line is, God will always direct our path if we allow Him to. Why? Because He promised to. He said in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. That's your plan. But in all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. We always say we want to follow the will of God. We always say that we want to do the Lord's will. But doing the Lord's will and following the plan of the Lord requires a walk of faith. It requires prayer. It requires patience. It requires surrender. But when we do, we can be sure that in His time, God will reveal His will and His plan, even when it doesn't look very promising on the surface. There are situations, not just here, but in other places, where you can sit back and I can observe what's going on. And I can observe the struggles and the turmoils that are happening with these folks and maybe in this church or whatever and it just looks like a giant disaster and it looks like a giant mess and like it's never going to end and it's all going to blow up and it's going to be horrible but at the end of the day you can always trust that god still has a plan and he still has a a purpose that he is trying to fulfill and whether it looks good or not it doesn't look very promising God still has something good that He's going to do, and we can trust it. The sure path to knowing the will of God is to simply keep ourselves, like Romans 12, 1 and 2, present your body a living sacrifice. Lord, I'm yours. That's the sure path to knowing the will of God. Had Gideon and his men not been willing to follow this plan that God was laying out, they would have missed out on the miracle and the blessing that God was about to perform. But so it is with God's plan for you and me. There are times when the Lord is going to lead in directions that we would never imagine. God can come up with plans for our lives that are very distinct and different 
And yet, when we choose to follow Him and we choose to obey Him, we find out that His plan is always the best one. Those were the realities of the situation for Gideon. It wasn't his plan. It was God's. But I want you to note, the secondly, the requirements of God's plan. If a person or a church is going to walk in the will of God, there are three things that are always going to be necessary. Number one, God's plan is going to require surrender. Think about this. Gideon was a man with 32,000 followers. But by following God's plan, he saw his army reduced and all the confidence of the arm of the flesh completely disappear. Gideon might have thought, well, we don't have very many, but you know what? We've got 32,000 and these are strong men and, they're, and, we're, and you know, we're, we're going we're gonna to do it. But God keeps whittling it down and whittling it down even more. And God says, there's still too many, because if I deliver beating into your hand now, Israel's going to say, by my own hand, I have delivered thee. And what we find here is that Gideon had to surrender to the plan of God. And by doing so, any confidence in the arm of the flesh was gone. What Gideon learned was that this fight was not about Gideon. It wasn't about his armies. It wasn't even about the enemy. This battle was about the Lord. It was about him. Gideon had to come to the place where he was willing to lay his plans aside, his whatever aside, and simply surrender to the will of God. That is what the Lord still requires of those who would walk in His perfect will. Those who see the reality of the fact that God does have the best plan, and so I'm going to let go of the reins, and I don't have any control over things. I simply surrender to Him. You can always trust that God is always going to look out for your best interests. Amen? Jeremiah 29.11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. This life, it ought to be about the Lord and His perfect will and not about me. What is God's plan? I'm simply going to surrender to it. That means I'm going to lay down my own line of thinking. You know, we can worry ourselves to death because we overthink things. Well, what about this? And I could make this decision, but if you like, what about this? And down here, and then what about that? And we can just completely overthink things. Like, oh, I got to make the right decision. But we've just gotten ourselves into a frenzy because we overthink things that we can never control. Sometimes it's yes or no, Lord. What do you want me to do? God's plan required surrender. God's plan also requires submission. For God's plan to succeed, Gideon and his army had to submit to it. They had to follow through and obey. 
Gideon had to watch when his first 22,000 men and then 9,700 more men all turned and went home, taking all of their weapons and all of their potential with them. Gideon and those 300 had to walk in obedience to God's plan for the battle. Otherwise, none of them had a chance of survival. Let's read on a little bit. The Bible says in verse 15, And so it was, when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof, that he worshipped and returned unto the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered into your hand the host of Midian. And he divided the three hundred men into three companies. And he, had, or, and he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. And he said unto them, Look on me, and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do, so shall ye do. When I blow with a trumpet, I and all that are with me, then blow ye the trumpet also on every side of all the camp, and say, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men uh, that were with him came unto the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch. And they, had put newly, and they had just newly set the watch. And they blew the trumpets and break the pitchers that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and break the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow withal. And they cried, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And they stood every man in his place round about the camp. And all the hosts ran and cried and fled. And the three hundred blew the trumpets. And the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow, even throughout all the host. And the host fled uh, to Bethshedda in Zerath, and to the border of Abel-Meholah, unto Tebath. And the men of Israel gathered themselves together out of Naphtali, and out of Asher, and out of Manasseh, and pursued after the Midianites. Gideon and his 300 had to follow the plan of God and walk in obedience to the will of God, or none of them would have survived. If you want to make the application here in your own life, if you and I want to see the Lord's best for our life, it's also going to require submission and obedience on our part. You may not like what the Lord is telling you to do, but you need to do it anyway. Amen? You need to do it anyway. You know, there are things in life that, that, that we look at and, and we might have a sense of the direction of the will of God, but then we look back and we say, well, what about this? And what about that? And if I do this, it means that I'm not going to have that. And this is really important to me. But if I do this, then all of these things are going to be changed and it's all going to be gone. And we don't have a sense of security about ourselves. And, and we know it requires faith, but it's also going to require obedience to actually find the goodness of God in all of those things. But then we think and we overthink. And it causes us to hesitate or to stumble. And the point that I'm making here is if you want to see the best of the Lord's will, it's going to require obedience. Even if it's not something that I feel like I want to do. 
Obedience is important to the Lord. We talked about it in our Sunday school class. To obey is better than sacrifice. It's a command of God for His children to walk in obedience. Ephesians 6.6 6 says, Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as unto the Lord, not unto men. God requires surrender and submission and obedience. But you know what else? Our obedience or lack thereof proves what kind of love we have for the Lord. Jesus said, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. Another thing that God's plan required was not only surrender and submission, but also steadfastness. If Gideon and his army were to experience the victory that God had in store, they needed to humble themselves under God's hand. They needed to surrender to His plan. They needed to obey His will. But then they needed to take those steps of faith. Actually take those steps of faith. Can you imagine the kind of faith it took? Great faith for 300 to go against thousands and thousands. It took great faith for them to blow on those trumpets, to break those pitchers, to shine those lights, and expect that the victory was going to be won that way. It took a lot of faith. But God answered their faith. God rewarded their faith and gave them that resounding victory. And if you and I are going to see God's best for our life, it too is going to require faith. God is going to ask us at times in life to take some steps along the way that are going to be difficult, that we might be unsure of, but it's going to require us to take a step of faith. I've used the illustration before. You remember when God said to the nation of Israel, you're going to cross over the River Jordan on dry land. Remember that? And it wasn't until the priests, those carrying the Ark of the Covenant, it wasn't until they actually took a step and their feet touched the water that God worked His miracle. And the river parted and they walked over on dry land. I would have been standing there waiting. Okay, Lord, I'm just waiting. I'm waiting for that river to move. I'm waiting for that, that, that land to dry up so I can know for sure that it's safe to walk. God said, no, you do it. They obeyed. And when they obeyed and their foot touched the water, then God moved. That's the same in our life sometimes. God's going to ask you to take some steps along the path of life that are difficult, that you might be unsure of. But when God is saying, do it, the path to God's best is always that path of faith. And God always honors faith because faith honors Him. Hebrews 11.6, without faith it's impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. When we honor the Lord in faith, God always rewards and honors our faith. Amen. The last thing is the results. The results of God's plan. Look at verse 21 again. The Bible says in verse 21, And they stood, every man in his place, round about the camp, and all the host ran and cried and fled 
And the three hundred blew the trumpets. And the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow, even throughout all the hosts. And the hosts fled to Bethsheda and Zerath, and to the border of Abel-Milo, I don't even know how to say that, unto Tebath. And the men of Israel gathered themselves together out of Naphtali and out of Asher and out of all of Manasseh and pursued after the Midianites. What was the result? Their obedience and their faith and following God's plan. Well, when Gideon submitted to the Lord and carried the plan out for the Lord's glory, there was certain results that could be expected. What we find here is that they found victory. What are the results of God's plan? Well, you always find victory. The Midianites and the Amalekites turned on one another in fear, and they fled, and Israel saw that their enemies were defeated because Israel followed and obeyed the Lord. They enjoyed victory because they chose to be obedient to the Lord. And listen, That victory had already been won well before the battle was ever engaged. That victory had already been won. God said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to deliver them. And here's how it is. God's plan for your life and mine is that we also walk in victory. God doesn't want you to live in defeat. God doesn't want your life to be wrecked by sin or other things like we sang in the song. God wants us to live in victory. The Bible says in Romans 8, 37, nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. You know, God doesn't want sin to rule your life. You might have struggles with your flesh. God wants you victorious over your flesh. But it requires submission and surrender and obedience to the will of God. 2 Corinthians 2.14, Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. 1 Corinthians 15.57, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. God wants you to live in victory, but victory will only truly be our experience if we are following the Lord's will for our life, not our own. Those verses that I just quoted for you, I don't know if you noticed or not, but in every single case, that victory was through Christ. If you walk in the Lord's will, we can never walk in defeat. Amen? The Apostle Paul, let me just look at a couple of passages and I'll be done. Like in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Verse 7, Paul says here in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Paul says here, the power is of God and not of us. That's why we can experience this persecution, but not be forsaken. 
That's why we can be cast down, but not destroyed. That's why we can go through all of these troubles and trials and not be defeated. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse 7, Paul writes this and says, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. How could Paul say that? How could he say the things that he did? How could he say that, that we can experience this persecution but not be defeated? How could he say that, that I, want, I would want this to be, be departed from me, but God's grace is sufficient, and if that's what it takes to have the power of God on me, I'll gladly glory in my infirmities. How could he say things like that? Because he knew that he was walking in the will of God, and that even though it might be hard, God's will and God's way is always the best way, and God never leaves uh, us to our own strength resource to follow His will and His way. God always provides. And the point is, there's always victory when we're walking in the will of the Lord. What are the results of God's plan? Well, there's always victory. But secondly and lastly, that God's name will always be venerated. Go to verse 2 of our text in Judges chapter 7. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are, are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. God's intent in all of this was that God would get the credit when He showed Himself strong. Because the victory was won without a great army and without a fierce battle. Because God's plan was different and, and, and Gideon obeyed the plan of the Lord. And then the battle was fought in a way that it didn't require anything of them. God did it all! God got all the glory for the victory. Neither Gideon nor his army could go home and brag about what they just did or what they saw on the field of battle. Can you imagine how that story might have gone when they went home and told that God said to take a trumpet in one hand and a pitcher in the other that had a lamp in it and to sit, just blow in these trumpets that's all we had to do was just blow in these trumpets. And then when we did, like we break the lamp and the light showed, and then all of a sudden we just watched this stuff happening in front of us and everybody went crazy. And the next thing you know, their swords are turning. Like, it was amazing. They weren't bragging on what a hero they were. They weren't bragging on anything except for what God did. And when we follow the Lord's leading, we are assured of the victory 
But we're also assured of the fact that God's going to do amazing things that only He can do, and He's the one who's going to get the glory. Isn't that what life is supposed to be about anyway? That God gets the glory? I love when God does something in my life, and I know that it was all Him. I love when that happens. Because then, you know what? I'm bragging on Him. I'm bragging on what God did. I just watched as all of these things happened, and the Lord just... The Lord just did it. I could never do that. I'm bragging on what He did and not what I did. I love when God's hand is working on my behalf and there is no mistaking that it's God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says that whatever we do, it should be all to the glory of God. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Our lives, our obedience, it ought to point to Him and not to me. Amen? So, as we wrap this up today, maybe think about it for a minute. How's your life going? Maybe you've got these plans and God just seems to keep messing your plans up. Things just aren't going the way that you want it to go. Well, the best thing that you could ever do is just take a, take a minute. Stop. Take a step back. Okay, Lord, what is your will? What are you doing? I want to submit to your plan because yours is always the best. Sometimes it means that God wants you to wait. The thing that you want or the thing that you're pursuing after, not right now. God just wants you to wait. And I just keep trying and I just keep pushing. I just keep trying to find ways to make this thing happen. Maybe you just need to stop. Step back and just wait. Because when the Lord is going to do it, there's going to be no mistaking that God is the one. Amen? God has the best plan for living. His will, when it's followed always produces victory in the life of the believer, and there's a measure of peace that goes along with it that you cannot explain. If there's some angst and some turmoil, and there's just this pushing and pushing, and it doesn't seem like it's working, maybe that's not the will of God for you, and maybe God's trying to tell you, you need to take a step back. You need to submit. You need to surrender. And when we do, that's when we find victory. Amen? So, God's way, it's always the best way. We can always trust His heart. We can always trust His character. And when we follow, there's always going to be victory. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for the story of Gideon and, Lord, how you prepared him for this moment when you would require him to follow in obedience and faith to do the impossible and Lord, you prepared him along the way, step by step, from the time that he was threshing wheat, hiding from the Midianites, making excuses as to why he's not the answer, why God's plan wasn't the right one. 
And how, Lord, you brought him along little by little, giving him a test of faith and a test of obedience. Lord, you were gracious with him when he's putting out the fleece. Lord, encouraging him even in his fears, but teaching him all along that you can be trusted. And so when the day came where it seemed like the plan was not a good plan, we're already outnumbered by thousands, and now you're taking it down to even less. Gideon still had to operate in faith, but he was strengthened. He was prepared because of your gracious hand and working in his life. And ultimately, Israel experienced a great victory because of his obedience and his faith. And it's a great example for our life. And I think there's a lot of times when Christian people say that we're operating in faith and we're operating in the will of God, but in reality, we're just using all kinds of words that sound good, but still living life according to our own will. And then when the real challenge comes, when there's a real requirement of faith, and Lord, you're leading in a way that seems uncertain, we crumble. We're not so spiritual anymore. And Father, I pray that you would help us to examine the Word and examine our own life. Am I really surrendered? Am I really submitted? Do I really walk by faith? Do I really want the will of God for my life? And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to have that heart full surrender unto you, and then experience the victory and the blessing in the hand of God in power so that you would get the glory. Lord, I pray that you would challenge your people with these principles and these truths and grow us in our faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.